Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, it's great to be in worship today. And I believe in these next, uh, in this time together, we've already uh, experienced God's presence in uh, the, the music and the, and, the, and the worship already. Thank you, Taylor and Kim. Got to spend a little time with them last night and um, really have grown to appreciate and love them more dearly. Um, a question for you in this series we've been talking about, it's more than a song, and today we're going to talk about who is God. And um, do you know that the human heart was made to worship? Did you know that? You say, well, yeah, Howard, I know that's why I'm here. Did you know that the human heart was, was made to worship God? Did you recognize, do you recognize it? I hope we do. It's a part of us in our life at, here at Journey. And even in our mission statement, we say it's a place where everybody's welcome to worship fully. What does that mean? We believe that in the sunrises and in the sunsets, in the cold weather and the pretty snow this week. And uh, wherever we're together or when we're alone, uh, we're relentlessly looking for the fingerprints of God. And we discover, when we discover it, the breathtaking reality that God is in this place. Whether it's here or somewhere out there, it compels us to respond. Sometimes with singing, sometimes with more than a song. Pastor Eric opened up the series last week, and two verses that I think are important for us are from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, offering everything of who we are to everything that God is, is our spiritual act of worship. Augustine wrote a lot of things about how he was a uh, writer and he wrote a lot about our confessions and words to God. But one of his quotes that uh, I remember and continues to kind of challenge me is this quote, you've made us for yourself, talking about God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless Until we find our rest in God. Wow. Let's pray. God, this morning, in these moments ahead, I would ask for your Holy Spirit to continue to rain down as you have already today and in this time of worship. God, we come today with a lot of different thoughts from the past week and the thinking of the rest of the day and the week ahead. But God, in these next 15 or 20 minutes, God, can we just open our hearts to you and be open to the Holy Spirit's touch wherever we're setting today, whatever we're carrying with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we want to take a look, a a deeper look into who is God? So Kathy's going to come up and write down, this is a place, this is an all play time, okay? So everybody's involved here, all right? When you think about the places where you work, places where you live, places where you go to school, places that you hang out, how do those people out there that you associate with during the week, how would they describe God? 
I know you want to say Jesus because we're in church. Okay, there's the man upstairs. That's a good start. But sometimes, what are words that people describe God? Loving? Amazing? What are the real words? Worshiping? Prayerful? Merciful? Huh? Creator? Does anybody think that God feels distant? Anyone? Ever? Put it up there, because I do, once in a while. Distant. What else? Angry. Unreal. Yeah. Wow. We can put up a lot of things. There's a lot of descriptions. And um, it's just interesting that um, when we think about the, the questions that describe God, sometimes we hear that out there in culture. And there's in our culture today, you need to know there are less and less people that want to be connected to a community of faith. And sometimes I think it's because of what they, their view is of God before they even come into the community of faith. And maybe that, and where does that come from? Tozer, A.W. Tozer writes some things about our beliefs and descriptions that keep us. He says, here are some things that keep us from really loving God. A distortion. And I'll explain what a distortion is. And you're going to understand this, Okay. So it's July in Kansas, it's a warm, humid evening, and you're driving at night, and you hear stuff on your windshield, and it's not rain. And before long, all of a sudden, you can't hardly see, and somebody says, why don't you turn on the windshield wipers? Then what happens? Then it's worse. It's really distorted, isn't it? You can't see a thing. It's like, stick your head out the window. Yeah. Distortions. What are those distortions? And A.W. Tozer talks about those and even says, do you know the number one place where the distortions of who God is really come from? It comes from an entity that we all hear about. Its name is Satan. And Jesus talks about that. He says, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies in John 8, uh, 44. <clears throat> that Satan's primary accomplishment for us while we're living life here is to keep on keeping our windshield distorted so that we don't see God clearly. And he's going to do whatever he can, play the tapes, whatever. And Tozer would say that one of the greatest places where we are impacted by who God is, from this high to this high to this high that go with us much of our life, is at home. And so I'm going to share some things that he writes about things that we might pick up at home. Knowing that all of our homes, uh, because we're here in the faith community, and because we know that none of us are perfect, we carry some of those imperfections. And our parents, or a parent or a set of parents, probably did the best they could with the tools they had. And, and so uh, he writes this about um, 
being being raised in our homes. So I'm going to go through some things pretty fast. If you're raised by parents who were loving and kind, we tend to see God that, who is also loving and kind. But if we're raised with parents who were over-focused on rules and behavior, we tend to be uh, obsessed with rules and right behavior. If we're raised with parents who were critical and shaming, we tend to see God as a judgmental and condemning. If we're raised by parents whose love we had to earn because we heard these words, why can't you be like your sister or brother? We tend to see God as someone whose love is conditional and we have to work for it and jump through hoops to get it. Obviously, this is not a one on exactly how any of us have experienced it. But Tozier would say the greatest impact, one of the most single, most noticeable impacts of our expression and our interaction and description, expression of the weaving this way, how we express it is going to be how it's been handed to us, sometimes is distorted from our families. Um, and <clears throat> the good news is that God doesn't want to leave us there. The bad news is Satan wants to keep us there. And he's going to do whatever he can to play the tapes for you and I to be held right where we are. Right where we uh, feel like this is, the, this is the way life's going to be for me. And if you're here this morning and feel like, you know what, Howard, I've lived this so long, it's just part of me. But my question is, do you want to have the windshield clear? Do you really want to? The Holy Spirit wants us to. God wants us to. God wants us to live life and to live it abundantly, for sure. We're going to look at some scriptures that point us toward the heart of God. Oh, I missed one. Ah, that's why she's standing here. Okay. These were descriptions of people out there. How would you describe God? How do you describe God? Those go in this next spot. Sorry. How would you describe God? Benevolent. Benevolent. It's a big word. What else? Gentle. Gentle. Okay. What else? Merciful. Merciful. Giving. Healer, okay? Helpful. Helpful. Faithful. Faithful. Present. Present. Have you ever felt like that um, from people outside or even from our own selves, this idea that when we think of God, we think of Shame. Have you ever thought of that one? Anybody? Because they don't measure up. Well, I'm going to offer you a statement that says about somebody's description. When you hear it, probably from here on, you'll never think of it the same way. When you hear somebody say, God damn you, that says an awful lot about the distorted windshield from which somebody has experienced God, does it not? I think that's how real our distortions are, folks. And it gets really quiet when I talk like that. 
But I think it's for us to really get real and go inside ourselves and let the Holy Spirit come in and look at our windshield and we're looking through it at God. And what is that distortion for you and I? That's the most important thing for our time together is for each of us to name a distortion or a number of those that maybe we've inherited from family, maybe we've inherited from church, or maybe it's inherited by what somebody has done to me or what I've done to myself and I feel like I'm damaged. And so I don't, I will never be able to lay, measure up. Those are some of the distortions that I believe keep us focused in and to have a clear windshield in our expression, and to accept the essence of God. We're going to look at some scriptures out of the Old and New Testament. The first of those at Isaiah 40. In verse 10, it talks about the sovereign Lord comes with power. So God's this mighty person with power. Created the universe. Set the captives free out of Babylon. That we had talked about back in, in, in the Daniel series. But then look at verse 11. Uh, he says... He also tends his flock like a shepherd. He gives, he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart, gently leading those that have young. So we see the powerful arm of God, mighty arm, but the loving arm of caring, weary, tired lambs could be people, you and I, close to his heart. When we're going through hard things. And he says, can I take you home? I love you enough to not leave you in that place where there's not clear vision and where the windshield is distorted between you and me. Wow. Our image of God becomes the kind of God that we follow. Yeah, you might write that down if you want to. Your image and my image of God becomes the kind of God that we follow. Secondly, our passion for God will never outrun our mental picture of God. Our passion for God will never go past our picture of God that maybe we've inherited from this high to this high, or maybe it's been inherited because of my actions or others' actions toward me or to me. So what are the attributes? Tozier also writes some things about the church, as he does about parent, parenting and in our homes, that the church in its has never been a perfect institution. Why? Because it's been human beings in it. And are any of you perfect? Raise your hand. Larry, keep yours down. Yeah. <laughs> None of us are. And so people sometimes look at you. I'm not going there because so-and-so's there. It's like, look what they are. It's like, Yeah, come on in. We're all that way. Broken. Got some distortions on the windshield. But we're trying. We're trying to move forward through the love and presence and this essence of God's love for sure. So here's some things about the church that maybe have happened to that maybe you can resonate with. If people in the church taught us that God is kind and loving, we tend to see God as a caring friend. And he's going to help us. If the church has taught us about obeying, that God is about obeying the rules, we tend to think of God as a cosmic cop. If we've if we've also been taught that God is 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 all about like right things and he's about hellfire and wrath and that we're going to get punished every time we have a moral misfire of our own choosing or from someone else that someone else does to us. Wow, we will always 
carry a distortion of what God's best for us. And if we were taught in the church that, that God would give us anything we want, then we look at God like this indulgent grandfather and all we have to do is ask and he'll always give us what we want. Yeah, those are some descriptions that maybe happen to people with a distorted view of God in the church. And I would say there's some of us right here in this room that if we could just name the things, the distortions that we have picked up along the way. I have grown up with a distortion that God is this rule-keeping, report card kind of God, and I needed to have all my little ducks in a row if I wanted to eke my way up over heaven's gate. And that's grace about that wide, my friends. And I'm learning and have learned that God's grace is much bigger than that. Much broader than that. Much larger than that. Wow. And so, <clears throat> defining God's not easy. Because, we can't de- because God's attributes are different than ours. We can, have a- we can describe things about God or attributes, but His essence is really hard. We understand these concepts, but uh, we, it's, we can't expect to be able to describe God's very essence because God is like holy other. Wow, what in the world does that mean? God can't be defined by space or time or a, phys- a physical kinds of things because God is other. God is other. Wow. So when we describe God, we can only describe God in ways that are familiar to us, even if those descriptions aren't totally sufficient. And we will, because we're finite, we use descriptions. And I hope by the end of the day, you can, you can have maybe just, if you've got a distortion, that maybe you've just been able to allow the Holy Spirit to give you just a little bit more visual, a little bit clearer visual in this round spot of distortions maybe that you've had in your life. We go to a text in Genesis, and this is one where I think we can read it with a lot of ways, but I read the story of Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were caretakers in the garden, and God said, take care of everything, there's only one thing you can't do. There's a tree over here that's mine, and you can't eat of that fruit. And if you do, uh, that's not going to be a good, that's not a good choice. Just don't do that. Don't take the cookies, okay? And um, what do they do? Satan comes to them and says, so did God really say that? Come on. You know, if you eat that, you're going to be like God. What do they do? They ate the fruit from the tree. So <clears throat> Genesis 3, 8, 9 is kind of what happened afterwards. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to to Adam, Adam, where are you? It's the tone for me of a loving father. Adam, Eve, where are you? Have you ever done something in home uh, and you went and hid from your parents or a parent? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand? Yeah. Why is that? Because our humanness is like when we do something wrong, the first instinct almost is hide. Or don't tell anybody. Or try to brush it away. Or do something else with it. Is it not? Yeah, it is. I heard this kind of disappointment in my father's expression on an occasion as a teenager. 
Um, and here's how it went. Howard, what happened that you didn't call home when you and two friends, this is in southern Indiana, I'm you all's age, and one of, one of my friends had a boat, and we had to go about 10 miles to a big reservoir, Monroe Reservoir, it got to be 10 o'clock. We got tired of the water. It, was, it wasn't fun. So we ditched the boat and drove to the next town 10 miles away. Never called home for sure because we knew we would, we would probably been told, no, probably shouldn't go. But we went and we had no track of time. Well, by 10 p.m. in the evening, my parents are frantic. Because guess what? These guys went to the lake. So he says, Howard, what? You have no idea what we were thinking about. When it got to be 10 o'clock, we were so worried we called the DNR. And when you and your friends didn't come home, wow, I just so clearly remember going back to pick up the boat to go home. And here sets a DNR guy. He goes, are you Howard? Yep. Do you know that your parents are looking for you? Oh, I knew it was coming. But it never came in anger. It came as a loving father. Do you know how this hurt? I'll never forget that. Never. That's the kind of God who was calling Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve. This is a huge disappointment that's going to change the course of history. It's the sound of a loving father. Wow. Wow. I believe that that's the tone of God when, he, when we step out, of, when we do things that we know and right and we try to hide or whatever. And maybe there's, and that brings a distortion when we hide because we're not clear with our Heavenly Father or with our parents or with those we're around. In, in the Old Testament, God's people called the children of Israel. God called them and, and uh, they, disip, you know, they called them to the land and they began to f- just meander around and take on other people's religions and pretty soon they were off the rail with God. And God allowed uh, the Egyptians to take them into captivity for several hundred years. And they were brutally treated there. And one day, Moses is out on the side of a hill and a bush is burning beside him, really extraordinary. Because it's really dry and everything's brown and there's no way to burn hardly anything. He walks there and God, and a voice says, what? don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. And then the, then the text from uh, Exodus 3, 7 and 8. I want you to count the times that God says, I, here. Okay? I have, he says, Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out into a land that is good and spacious, a land with flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Moses, go because I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. How many times did he say I? Five times. Yeah. That's the heart of God. My friends. God cares about our pain. 
God cares about when we're going through tough things. He, even though we walk through hard things and we look around, where is God? God is always with us. He didn't say he'll, that we'll escape challenges. He said, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. From the New Testament in your outline, if you're looking at it, uh, I've got a line in there. Jesus is the heart of God. Did you ever hear, you ever hear that statement like that? That's really come at me a little bit this, this week thinking like, yeah, Jesus is like God, but Jesus is really the heart of God in skin who came here and lived for 30 for some years to show us, demonstrate for us how to live and how to love. Nothing. Uh, no, there's no other place than in the, than the gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do we really get the, we really understand the heart of God through Jesus? And the, the writer of Hebrews writes, he said, the Son, or Jesus, is the radiant of God's glory and the exact representation. Yeah. Not just a copy. Of God's glory, the exact representation of God's glory. In First John, <clears throat> Jesus, John writes of several repeated phrases of the essence of God and God's love demonstrated in Jesus. In John, First uh, John four seven through ten, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love God does not know God, because of what? Read it with me. What is it? Three words. God is. Love. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is love. God is love. Yeah, this is how we know uh, love is among us. Because God sent his son to the world that we might have life through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Wow. God is love. And we can turn that around, turn it a lot of shapes. We can say love is God. God is loving. Uh, or, but we, we, there's nothing that we can say that really in our human finite minds really describes the essence of God. Really. All the activities of God are infused and saturated with God's love. And when we have a distorted view of that, we will never get beyond the clarity that we have or the distortion that we have. It's like it's looking through that windshield. I can only see about a hundred yards, you know. I don't have clear vision. I don't have clarity. Our mental picture of God or distorted view of God is most important when we think about our worship of God. The mental picture or the distortion of God has all to do with our, how we can really engage in the worship of God. <clears throat> and I'm going to close uh, looking at a text from Hebrews. That was read that Kim read for us. And there's one verse in there that uh, that the Hebrew writer is saying to us, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place where Jesus is, where God's presence are. We've been invited here, not like the Old Testament, where there's a curtain like right across here. And the only person who come really into the presence of God was this was the priest. When Jesus died on the cross, that, that curtain was tore open. And so all of us have equal access to God. And so we are invited in, in verse 22 of chapter 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Do you feel like you have confidence and full assurance to step right in to the presence of God? Or it's like, no, Howard, I, I can't see that quite clearly yet. 
it's still distorted. This God of love, this God who knows your name, this God who gave you the breath you just took, is love. Yeah. We want to do a little reflection as we close. And I would say this is for each of us. And um, I believe that God wants to speak to you and I in some ways that maybe uh, we've not heard in, in maybe recently or didn't expect to hear from. I didn't expect for God to speak to me through the Holy Spirit today like this. I would invite you to bow your heads and just in quietness, I'll offer some things. And I want you to just maybe open your hands as a way of saying, I'll open to the Holy Spirit to blow or to clean, come and clean the windshield of my distortions. Our passion again for God becomes the kind of God, our image of God becomes the kind of God that we follow. And our passion for God will never outrun that picture we have seated in our minds of God. And so, if it's from, if it's things that you have grown up with and I have grown up with in our families, things that haven't been helpful, things that have caused us to think different about God, can we just open our hands and say, Holy Spirit, I want to lay those things down. Holy Spirit, I want you to clean my vision from those things in the past, from my family. Or maybe it's come through negative experiences from the church. Would you just open your hands and say, God, I recognize I'm carrying anger. I'm carrying frustration. I'm carrying, you fill in the blank, from some things that happened to me from my own choosing or from other people. And God, I offer these to you. Please, would you come, Holy Spirit, and clean the windshield of that from my life. Holy Spirit, I want to lay it down. I want to lay it down. Or maybe it's things that have been hurtful to you that make you feel like you're unacceptable to God for some things done to you or some things that you've done to yourself. Would you just open your hands and say, Holy Spirit, would you blow a fresh wind? Bring your cleaning agent and clean the distorted view that I'm not good enough and that I'm not acceptable. Holy Spirit, I want to lay it down. God, we thank you for your unconditional love best described in Jesus. We ask you to show us something today that you love about us. Maybe it's from another person.
May we be willingly and openly expressing our appreciation and love for people today. Maybe it's we recognize God's love outside in nature. But show us something that lets us know that, that you, what you love about us. God, when we see you as you really are, we can't help but open our hands and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.